Glad that you're here today. We're going to worship the Lord. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. We then as workers together with him beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. It is possible to receive the grace of God in vain or we would not have scriptures like this. We have this scripture here. We sang about the amazing grace, how sweet the sound. We, in Sunday school, we talked about the grace of God. Reynolds exhorted us with the grace of God for our country and for our lives that he has bestowed upon us. But we are, we are uh, commanded and instructed, instructed here not to receive the grace of God in vain. It is possible to do so. The grace of God is wonderful. The grace of God is poured out upon men's lives. And we can, re- we can heed it or not heed it. We can receive it, not receive it. We can receive it but not allow the Lord to have his work in our lives. And I want to talk this morning about not our part in this. Okay, God is God of grace and mercy who pours out grace and mercy. Our God is the God that works effectually and fervently in the lives of the people that he has redeemed to make us more like Christ. He is doing that. But all along the way, there's a, there's a need for a cooperation from our, our part, for the faith on our part to lay hold upon the Lord, to lay hold upon the promises of God, to lay hold upon the truth of Christ, and, the, and to say in our hearts, yes and amen, to the prompting of the Holy Spirit to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We do have that part. The Bible speaks of yielding. The Bible speaks of submitting to God. The Bible speaks of obedience to the Lord. And so in all of those things, there's a a coming under, there's an agreement, I guess you would say, in the life of the believer to the grace of God and whatever God is working in us by his grace at that moment, that we're in cooperation with him. We're saying, yes, Lord. We're saying, yes, Lord, have your way, Lord. God may say, come to the altar and let me work in in you a little more this morning. And we say, yes, Lord, and we come to the altar and we allow God to work in us. I want to keep that thought about not receiving the grace of the Lord in vain. And I want to, I believe God would have us this morning talk about this, that what God has done for us, and to me, that's the grace of God what he's done for us, and we could start listing those things, and we will in a little while. What God has done for us, what God has done for us must be done in us. And just let it sink in for one second. What God has done for us, okay, must be done in us. It's an inward working of his spirit. He pours out upon us, but that pouring out upon us, uh, whether it be a revelation of knowledge, whether it be Uh, conviction of sin, whether it be the goodness of God, whatever is done for us must be done in us, in our hearts and lives. And the Bible says it's God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God is working in us. What he has done for us, he also desires by the same grace to work in us. So what's been done for us must be done in us. And I'll take it a step further. And what God has graciously worked in us must be lived out through us, must come back out through us. It's almost like full circle. Here's God in heaven who blesses sinful men through Christ. Okay, a knowledge of Christ, salvation like we talked about in Sunday school this morning, the new birth. 
that work is worked in us in a conforming us to the image of Christ and bearing fruit in the peace of God that passes understanding and all the inner workings of God. And then that, that is also to be lived back out through us as a testimony for the Lord. Amen. So what God's done for us must be done in us and what God has worked in us. And this is all along the way. It's not one, a one-time thing. What God has worked or is working in us, he desires for us to live out or to walk out. The Bible says in that same passage I quoted, it's God which worketh in you, right? But it also says right before that, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now that's the part we don't hear a lot as preached as much as the other because some people think that puts too much emphasis on us but doesn't put any more emphasis on us than what God intends to put on us. It's the word of God. He says to work out your own salvation. He's not saying work for your salvation. He's not saying work in order to earn your salvation. It is the gift of God. He is saying work out the salvation that you've been given. Work it out. Work it out. Walk it out. Okay, we could say for our purposes this morning, this is done by the working of the Lord in the lives that he has redeemed. Now, I want to say this this morning, that being born again, being saved, uh, new life in Christ and so forth, that, that is something that is an inward work. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. That is an inward work. It's not a, it's not a, a physical rebirth. We know that. Nicodemus asked that question. It's, it's, uh, it's very much inward in the heart of hearts of man, in our spirits, in our hearts. But at the same time, that inner life and that, new, that inner man, as the Bible says, inward man, is being renewed day by day. That's what the Bible says. If I'm saved in that inward man, that inner working, which is very real, new life of Christ, like we've talked about in Sunday school, is worked within us, we can be sure that that is going to affect every other area of our lives as well. It's not just inward in it. Well, that my Christianity is private, you know, and this it has no effects on my outer man, so to speak. It is absolutely going to have an effect on our outer lives. What God is working in us, he intends fully to affect every area of our life. Every area of our life ought to be brought subject to obedience of Christ. And what he did for us is he's worked in us. And what he's working in us is to be walked out back through our lives as we live this life. It's uh, New life in Christ is all-encompassing. It is all-encompassing. It's not, and you've heard people say, well, my, my religion or my Christianity is private. I believe in keeping it private. Well, I don't see that in the Bible. It's an inward working of God's spirit in your life. But if it's genuine, you can't, almost can't help it. If it's real, it's going to come back out of you. It doesn't mean you have to be obnoxious. It doesn't mean you have to uh, do things that are disorderly or anything like that. It does mean this life of Christ, if that's real, and it's affected in my heart and my affections and my desires are changed and so forth, that is going to be lived back out of me in very practical ways. I could say this, Christianity is an inward work. Being born again is an inward work, but it's also very, very practical. Christianity is very practical. You know, I read in the book of Acts when the people were saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit, there were people that had needs in the church financially, and people came and gave. I mean, that's very practical, isn't it? They came and gave what they had. They sacrificed and they gave. It's Christianity, it has to be real because the world can 
mimic some of those things out of good works, you know, and, and, and uh, social causes and so forth. But I'm talking about real Christianity that affects the life and a change in Christ. It's absolutely going to be lived out through our lives, and God intends for it to be lived out through our lives. Amen? So what we have to do, according to 2 Corinthians 6.1, is not to receive the grace of God in vain. That means that we must appropriate. You know, we hear that word sometimes and maybe not sure what it means. We have to appropriate what God has done for us and is has given to us and bestowed upon us. I have that responsibility, okay? If, if I prayed for food and God sent a big crate of food and, and sitting at my front door and it's sitting out there, I still have to go out, open the door, and bring it in and eat it. You understand what I'm saying? I have to take, avail myself to it. I have to take advantage of it. Uh, and, and we could repeat things like that all, all through life. So, we have to avail ourselves or appropriate the things of God. And this is one where I believe a pastor and where a church and the ministers of the gospel and the teachers and the exhorters, this is where a church body and God's vision and plan and ideal uh, comes into play so much. Is This is where we're fed, every joint supplying every joint. And, and we can appropriate the things of God, and we learn that. We're exhorted to, to lay hold on the things of God. By faith. This is all by faith. God does much for us. He pours out blessings upon us. And sometimes no people are not benefited by it. You probably know people like that. There may have been times in your life or maybe there's a lost loved one you're praying for and you're said, look what God has done for them. Look at the graciousness of God. Look at the kindness of God. Look at the protection of God in that wreck that they were in or whatever it may be. God has poured out blessings upon them and they're not appropriating them, not they're not receiving it as being from the Lord. They're not receiving it as being, uh, they're, they're, it would be receiving the grace of God in vain. And that working or whatever it may be would be in vain and God doesn't want it to be, okay? Um, we do it by faith. We lay hold on the things of God by faith and the grace of God and the workings of God in our lives. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good report. I always like to go to that second verse because the first one, it's not a definition of faith, it's more of a description of faith. Uh, the hope of things, you know, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But then he says, goes on to say that by it the elders obtained a good report. And that's significant to me because it talks about the elders in that sense. He would go and enlist some of them, you know, Joshua and Abel and, and Noah and Moses and Abraham and so forth. They're going to enlist these people and Sarah. And, and what it means is they, they actually received the promise of God by faith. It, w it wasn't just that God made them a promise that was wonderful. They received the promise of God by faith. They benefited from it. A child was promised to Abraham and Sarah in their old age. And guess what? By faith, Sarah received strength to conceive, even though she had been barren all of her life. And at 90 years old, she gave birth to Isaac, the son of the promise. And Abraham, at 100 years old, receiving a son. Their faith obtained something. And that's what it's saying here. By faith, the elders obtained. We can dissect faith 
all day long, but faith is going to be trusting in God and trusting God to the extent that we reach out and lay hold on it. We, re we reach out and lay hold on the Lord. We reach out and lay hold on the promise of God, on the word of God, on the truth of God, on the goodness of God, and we lay hold upon it. And what's happening in our lives is that as we're what God's done for us is being worked in us, and what's being worked in us by the same Holy Spirit is lived back out of us, and we are becoming, probably unbeknownst to ourselves, we are becoming an increasingly fuller expression of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's much in my life that needs to be done to make me more Christ-like. There's much that needs to be done in all of our lives. All the little trials we go through, the big trials we go through, the things you're going through right now that are miserable and you're having a very difficult time with it, it's to make you more like Jesus. What's all this for? What's all this about? There might be some specifics I'm missing out on, but I can tell you in the general sense is to make you more like Jesus, to make you more like the Lord, an increasingly fuller expression of the one who saved us. And I'm very thankful that he works that, that in us. I want to just read this. I'll just read it from Mark. And he said, where, until, where unto shall we liken the kingdom of God? So Jesus is about to give a description of the kingdom of God. Or what, what comparison shall we compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the earth is less than all the seeds in the earth. But when it is sown, it groweth up and becometh greater than all herbs. And shooteth out great branches, so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. Well, what's the point? Well, he's talking about the. He's saying that's the description of the kingdom of God, okay? And I said earlier, Jesus said the kingdom of, of God is within you. That's salvation. Now he has a kingdom. We talked about it last week, where Christ is going to reign at the at the end of the age and so forth. That's coming. But the whole point to me of the picture of something little that becomes something great in Christ. It starts off little. If you've ever seen a mustard seed, it is tiny, okay? It's, it's tiny as a little pinhead, all right? That's the seed. But he says when it grows, it's the biggest of all the herbs. It went from the tiniest to the biggest of all the herbs to where birds can make nests in it and so forth. And that's the kingdom of God, which is within you and his kingdom to come, we understand as well. So there's an increasing fullness of it where God wants you to increase and be more. And what God's worked in you and little, I preached a sermon one time about despise not the day of, of I think it was little beginnings or small beginnings, you know, because what God started, and you say, this, this is hardly anything. But if it's the Lord, and it was really the Lord and is really the Lord, then, then there's no limit to what he can do from that little seed of faith. If that little seed of faith was genuine and it is really the life of Christ, uh, a little vision that we have and God begins to build it. And we're going to talk Wednesday night. There was, Elijah saw a cloud the size of a man's hand. It's not a very big cloud. I don't think I've ever seen a cloud that small. But out of that, before he could get down the hill, the abundance of rain came, right? And we're going to talk about it. And so it's an increasingly fuller in us, what he's wanting to do, specific things in your life and in my life that would be different, but the same, most of it's going to be the same. It's going to be making us more like Jesus. He sends you down a journey and me down a journey, and, and, 
he's carving and whittling and forming and fashioning through my life, through relationships, through people, through heartaches, through sicknesses, through financial struggles, through all kinds of things. He's making me more like Jesus if I'll trust him, if I'll appropriate that grace of God at that moment. It's not a wasted trial unless you let it be wasted, okay? You lay hold on what God is desiring to do. And so he's working that in us, amen? He's working it in us, and we must allow the Lord to do that and to do it by faith, amen? So I said, it'd be like somebody's dying of thirst, and there's a case of water sitting right there, and they won't pick it up and drink one bottle. At some point, we've got to reach out and lay hold on something. You say, well, I thought it was all about grace. I thought God did it all. Well, he does it all. He gave you strength to reach out and grab a bottle of water and to drink it. You know, some things we have, we have to believe, right? We have to confess with our mouth. We have to believe with all of our hearts. We have to walk in obedience to what God showed me to, to walk in. I'm not trying to be God. I'm not trying to save myself or sanctify myself. But I can walk in obedience to Christ. How can I do that? Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? And so we walk it out. And I just want to talk just for a moment about some of the things that God did for us that he's wanting to work in us. I just jotted these down. You could list a thousand others, okay? But just for the message this morning, he died for our sins. Well, this is something he did for us by his grace. He died for our sins, the Bible says, and that he died for all that we which live should not henceforth live unto ourselves, but unto him which died for us and rose again. So here's what God did by his grace. He died for sinners. That's one of the millions of things he did for us. That, for the purpose of not we over here, we're the people that we didn't receive the grace of God in vain, that we should not henceforth live for ourselves. Oh, this is not my, my life anymore? No, it's not your life anymore. We shouldn't henceforth live for ourselves anymore. We should live for him who died and rose again. What has been done for us has to be worked in us. And what he's working in us is to be lived out through us. This is God's desire. What else has God done for us? Well, he gave us new life. He himself was raised in newness of life. The Bible says that we also should walk. In newness of life. Romans 6, 4. We should walk in that newness of life. Well, he did it. It's not going to be in vain. I don't want it to be in vain. If you, if you rose again in power and newness of life, and you tell me to walk in newness of life, I'm going to say, yes, Lord. I want to walk in newness of life. Like my Lord and Savior. I don't do it perfectly. Along the way, we have sins and, and doubts and fears. We ask God to forgive us, and he strengthens us. What else did Christ do for us? He broke the power of sin. Broke the power of sin. He didn't only forgive your sins when he saved you. He broke, there's a power of sin. He broke it off your life. You're not a servant to sin anymore. You're a servant of Jesus Christ now. You still may sin and commit sins when you give in to your flesh and to the temptations. When we don't appropriate the grace of God. When he says to flee temptation and we don't. And we end up sinning. He'll forgive us if we confess. But don't think he didn't make a way. He made a way for you and me to escape that sin. We didn't have to do it. And so he broke the power of sin that you and I would walk in victory over sin. That we would stand fast, the Bible says, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. And not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So he did this. 
broke sin's power from my life. That's the grace of God. But I don't want to receive it in vain. He did this for me. And he says, now you stand fast in that victory over sin. Don't become entangled again with bondage in bondage over here. I set you free from that. The grace of God did that for me. And the grace of God will help me stand too. But he does call me to stand. Right? Stand fast. What else has the Lord done for us? He's robed us in the righteousness of his son Christ. The Bible says that. He's made us righteous. Well, he did that for me. I didn't do it. My good works didn't earn my righteousness, right? Abraham believed God. It was counted to him for righteousness. We believe the Lord. We're robed in the righteousness of Christ. But he did that so that it says in Titus that we might live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. He robed me in his righteousness that I might live day by day, minute by minute, soberly, righteously, and godly. When? Right now. Not when I get to heaven. Right now in this present world. That's how we're to live. What else has God done for us? He loved us when we didn't know him and we were enemies of God with a perfect love. He's done that for us that we might love God and man with the same love. He has comforted us. Has God ever come alongside and comforted you? Have you needed him to? Do you still need him to? You better know you do. He can, he can do it, and only he can do it, and it's real, and he comes alongside, and that's what that means. He comforts us. He comforted us, the Bible says, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. What's been done for us is worked in us, and what's worked in us comes back out of us. And it's all God's purpose and plan. And we need God's grace here. We need it here. And we need it coming back out. We're dependent upon the Lord for all. God has fit us for heaven. He did that. It's the grace of God. He fit us for heaven. He fit us. He made us uh, able to go to heaven by the blood of Jesus in the new life. We did nothing in that except believe in him. He did that. Why did he do that? So that we might reign with him, he says, and be with him forever and ever in this life and the life to come. If we suffer, we will reign with him, the Bible says. And so God's done much for us, but that grace is not to be received in vain. That grace is to be lived out and walked out, and it is to to perform in my life all that God desires to perform in that. It's not just a question of give me more grace, give me more grace, give me more grace. It's, it's a question of walking in the grace that he's given us. And if there's a need for more grace, you can believe he'll give it. He'll give it. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. The Bible says he giveth more grace. Praise God for that because we need it. But I need to be availing myself and appropriating myself of the grace of God that he's already given me. And I need to be walking in it. Amen? I need to be walking in it. So we must allow the Lord to deeply work within us what he has done for us. He did for us. Hallelujah. We need to allow the Lord to work that deeply within us. And then graciously what he's worked in us to walk it out by faith. Amen. We lay hold on it and we walk in it. The Bible says 
We have this treasure where? Where do we have the treasure? Where do believers have a treasure? In, a earth, in earthen vessels. That is these physical, weak, frail, temporary bodies. They get a drip in the back of your throat and you can't talk so good. Okay? We have, we have this treasure, though. The treasure's not weak. It's not frail. That treasure is Christ in you, the hope of glory, living in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what he's done for me is now within in me. The kingdom of heaven is within you because we've appropriated that by faith. We've laid hold on the Lord by faith. I believe. That's what the Ethiopian eunuch said when Philip was in his chariot explaining Isaiah 53 to him. And he said the Ethiopian, after they've been riding together for a while, says, well, here's some water. What does hinder me from being baptized? Philip says, if you believe with all your heart, you may be. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Well, let's hop down out of this chariot and going to baptize you right now. Amen? What's been done for us? We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Now he is in us. He's not just a Savior out there that can save me at any moment who died for my sins. That's the grace of God. But it's been brought to me. The grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared unto all men, says in Titus. And so now I by faith lay hold on that. And Christ is within. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. He's within us now, and he, he desires to live in us and work deeply. I can tell you this, everybody here, you know, our church hadn't just exploded with 500 people, 5,000 people. God could do that if he wanted to. But I can tell you what he is doing. He's working deeply. He's working deeply in the lives of many. He's going deep. And you thought you were deep, and you're gonna, he's going to take you a lot deeper. There'll be things you have to give up and throw out as you go. You're throwing this out and throwing that, and you go, oh, don't, don't even miss it. You're not going to miss it. And you're going to go on with God, and you're going to go on deeper with the Lord. And when he's ready to grow us this way, he'll grow us this way. Right now, he's growing us this way. Between us and Jesus. I know he is. And I thank God for it. But what he's done for us by his grace. He's working mightily in us. Amen. To make us what he's called us to be. I want to just talk about a couple more things. In Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1. Let us therefore fear. Lest the promise being left, left us. Of entering into rest. Any of you should seem to come short of it. I want to talk about this for a moment. We're talking about not receiving God's grace in vain and allowing God to work deeply in our lives by that same grace. Uh, we, we can at any point come short, not come short of heaven, okay, if we're saved, but at any point in, in God bestowing grace upon us through the gospel, through Christ, through forgiveness, whatever, the Holy Ghost, whatever God's bestowing upon our lives, we could refuse, we could grieve the Holy Spirit, we could quench the Holy Spirit. We still have a free will, okay? At any point along the way, God's done this, he's, you're just growing in leaps and bounds. He gets to this and he says, I want you to give up that friend who's dragging you in the mud every time you're with him. 
or that boyfriend or that girlfriend or you, whatever, they're dragging you in the mud morally and spiritually. And you, you say, you get to there and you say, I'm not going any further than that. That would be, God would give you the grace and the strength to do that. And by his grace, he's trying to make you more like Christ, right? He's working in your life. But you say, I refuse. Well, then you have a little delay right there, aren't you? You're going to have a delay. You're, you're going to have a delay there until you're ready to get past that. You're going to have a delay there, and maybe God's got to work some things in your life. And he does in all of our lives. I'm not, not making fun. Where he brings us to a place where we surrender that thing. And then we keep moving on with God. That's the picture of this life, walking with Jesus. And so God has an ideal, not an idea, an ideal picture. I-D-E-A-L, okay? That is like the perfect picture or model of, of what he desires when Jesus died for your sins and my sins. When he sent Christ into the world. When you gave your life to Jesus, he, has a, he already has the, like a finished product in mind. I know we get to heaven, we'll be, when we see him, we'll be like him. But even between now and then, he has an idea, an ideal for our church. What this cornerstone is supposed to be. And we don't have to compare it to another one. We'll be what God's made us to be. But he has an ideal, and I don't want to come short of it. He has an ideal for my Christianity and my walk with God, me personally. And I don't want to come short of it. But somewhere along the way, I fall short. Where I didn't have to fall short, but I just kind of refused to go on. I'm saved. I'm going to die. I'm going to heaven. But I've refused in this area. Therefore, God couldn't bring me on to the next thing he had for me. So I came short. That would affect this church. We would come short. You understand what I'm saying? God has an ideal in mind. And at any point, we could come short, but we don't have to come short. We can, we can go all the way. I know I've shared this before. I remember when, when, uh, when I first surrendered fully to the Lord, I was to my, enter my last semester at LSU. I'd floundered around halfway in the world and halfway, probably 90% in the world and 10% in the church, but I believe I was saved. I surrendered fully to the Lord, and I quickly, I don't know if I've shared this, but please forgive me, but uh, there were other peers. I wasn't married yet. I was a college-age kid. I did really dedicate myself fully to the Lord. There were other peers I had, young men, uh, same age, same boat, weren't married in the church. And after just a few weeks, I saw they only want to be this holy. They only want to go this far with God. And here I thought, okay, I came out of the world, and I'm in the church. And now even in the church, I have to make a decision to go on with God, past the people that are around me. It's not an arrogance. It's not that I think that I'm any better than them. It's simply, am I going to keep listening to the voice of my good shepherd saying, keep walking? They're not your role model. I'm your role model. Keep your eyes upon me. And so the grace of God, real quickly, I think, again, it is by the grace of God. I didn't wrestle with that for a long time. Wrestle with the other thing for five years, okay? One foot in the world, one foot in the church. But this, I said, no, I've already decided. I'm, I'm going on, Lord. So even among, uh, what's that in the Rudolph show? Even among misfits, you're misfits. Uh, it was almost like uh, that's how I felt. Even among the believers, you know, I'm going on, uh, and people don't quite understand where you are. But God understands. Amen.
And God loves you, and God's taking care of you, and that's where you want to be. You want to be with no other strings attached to where it's just me and the Lord. Yes, he blesses us. Thank God for you and for, for the body of Christ. But I'm talking about nothing else restraining you from going on to the fullness of what the Lord has called you to be. You know, Jesus said, I think this is interesting as well. In John chapter 6, you can, John chapter 8, turn there if you would. We're going to be closing here in just a moment. John chapter 8. So Jesus is saying in verse 29 to the Jews, they're asking who he is, and he's, he's kind of telling who he is. I am my father one. I do all these things that please, please him. He says at the end of 829, look at verse 30. As he spake these words, many believed on him. And Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I think that's significant that he's speaking to people, and as he speaks to them, it says they believe. So here's the grace of God. I'm going to bring it back to our sermon. Here's the grace of God. The grace of God would be bring the truth, bring the gospel, bring Christ to these people. These gracious words that they're hearing. And they're listening. This is a gift from God. And they believed. And then he says to those that believe. Let's say they got, I don't know, let's say 20 believed. And he turns to these 20 that believed. He says, now if you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, shall and the truth shall make you free. So they had walked to a certain point of belief. But God, the Lord says, no, you've you got to go all the way. So whatever belief they had, I'm not saying it wasn't genuine. I'm saying there had to be more. Real belief is going to affect the life. And the life, if I'm really saved and really believe, then everything about my life is going to be different. I won't go so far and then stop. Was it John saying, First John, they went out from us that it may be man made manifest that they were not all of us? For if they had been all of us, they no doubt would have continued with us. But they went out from us that it may, may be made manifest that they were not all of us. True faith, the devils believe and tremble, right? Devils believe Jesus is Lord and tremble and obey him when he says, Come out of a person. But they're not saved. So what's been done for us has to be worked in us by faith. What's be, we lay hold on these things by faith. We lay hold that Christ is Lord by faith, that he's the only way to the Father by faith, that he's the only Son of God born of a virgin, died and rose the third day by faith. And that real, genuine, saving faith is going to work in us. God will work in us to will and do of his good pleasure. And his good pleasure is to make us like his son Jesus, that that life of Christ will be fully developed within us. Amen? At any point along the way, we could put the brakes on. Now, God, if we really belong to the Lord, God's going to deal with us. And I'm telling you, don't put the brakes on, okay? Number one, God says don't put the brakes on. I'm admonishing you not to put the brakes on. But even if we're real saved and we say, I'm not going to give that up. Well, you're not going any further until you do. Well, I don't care. You know, and we get in an argument with God. And maybe for six months or six years or something we live like that. Still saved, still going to church and reading our Bibles. 
but not growing in the Lord like he wants us to. Not nearly walking in the fullness of what the Lord has for us. I don't want to do that. This life's not going to be that long anyway, is it? On this earth, I want to avail myself and appropriate the grace of God and allow him to do all he desires to do in my life. Amen? And I know I want you to, and God wants you to. And so uh, anywhere along this thing, somebody could receive the gospel like, like in the, seed of the a parable of the seed and the sower. These, they received it in stony places. It says with joy they received it. We believe, we receive, we believe, we receive. We're, we're all excited. The seed is good. It was sown to them. But by and by, it says they have no root in them. And that's by faith. They have no root in them. And the tribulation comes because of the word's sake. And they forsake and they walk off. And we can get all these theological debates. Were they really saved? Well, we can argue that all day long. The point is they didn't continue with Christ. And we're told to bear fruit, some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirtyfold. If I'm going to do that, I have to abide in Christ. And I'm going to finish this thing. The Lord started us in it, and he's going to finish it in, it, in, it, in us. What he's done for us, he desires to do uh, in us. And what he's done in us, he desires and equips us to live it out and to walk it out. Amen? I don't want to come short of God's ideal for my life. What he has planned for me. I don't want to frustrate the grace of God. I don't want to frustrate the Lord who gave me his grace. I don't want to frustrate his purposes and the workings in my life. I have before. I have many times before. I have recently. Go back to yesterday. I'm sure I did something and had to ask God to forgive me of something. But the point is I don't want to live that way. So here we come to this, this last part. What God has mightily done for us, he's working mightily in us. And what he's worked mightily in us is just almost naturally to be lived and walked out through our lives. Come back out of us. We all know the scripture so well. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but they put it on a candlestick. That's the two things you can, we have the candle lit. Christ in you, the hope of glory, is the treasure in the earthen, earthen vessel. Neither do men light a candle and hide it under a bushel. But they put it on a candlestick, and what does it do? What does God do with that light? It's not me doing it so much. It, the light, gives light to all that are in the house. Whoever you work with, whoever you go to sleep with at night in your family, whoever you're around, we don't hide it because he's worked it. He's done it for me by his grace. He's worked it mightily in my life by his grace. And it's coming back out of me by his grace. I set it on the candlestick and it gives light to all those that are around. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen. I'll close with this, this scripture. You can turn it if you want to in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 15. And so many other things I want to say, but I think this is where God would have us to close today. 2 Corinthians 4, 15. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace, we started with grace, we're going to end with grace, that the abundant grace might, through the thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God. That's a strange word, redound. It's the only time it's used, okay, 
in the scriptures, I believe. I'm pretty sure. Only time it's used, it means to superabound, to cause to excel, to be in excess, to be over and above in quality and quantity. So the grace of God, that's, that's certainly not received in vain. This is grace that for the glory of God has so worked in my life that it comes over and above and beyond and excels back out and redounds to whose glory? To my glory? To the glory of God. To the glory of God. What he's done for me, he works in me. And I don't want to fight him on that. And what he works in me, he wants to come back out of my life as an earthen vessel, poured out, spilled out, used up, I want to be burnt up, burnt out, used up, filled, you know, I want to be used up for God. I want to go to heaven uh, having finished my course. I want to go to heaven having, not a full tank. I want to be emptied out, emptied out the last drop, and then he raptures me and takes me away. You understand what I'm saying? I want to be used up for God's glory, not to get to, get to heaven and say, Lord, I, I should have, I wish I had, could have, should have, would have. I don't want to live that way. I want to live used up for the Lord. I'll close with this. Indeed, you can come. Every, every step of your walk with Christ is an opportunity to grow in Christ. Every day and every step in your walk with Christ is an opportunity to grow in Christ. We can either lay hold on that by faith or we can fail of the grace of God. We want to lay hold on at every turn. I don't want to waste a precious moment with the Lord, for the Lord. I want to be saying in my heart, yay and amen, yay and amen. Yes, God, yes, God, yes, God. Do that, Lord, do that, do that. As, let it be even as you've said, Lord. Do that, do that, do that, do that in me. Randy, this is going to be a little painful. Have to, well, do it, Lord. Do what you have to do. Work it in me. Work it in me. Do it, do it. You know, I want you to go share the gospel with so-and-so. That's going to be hard, Lord. They're, you know, it's hard, hard to talk to so-and-so, that person. I want you to do it. Yes, Lord, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it, God. Help me. Give me the strength. Saying, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Allowing God, not receiving the grace of God in vain, but letting it actually work so mightily in our lives, him work so mightily in our lives that it comes about back out for his glory. Amen. Y'all stand with me this morning. Altars are open. I really encourage you to come to the altar. I don't have to describe what the altar is about this morning. I think you understand what God's dealing with your own heart and life about. You say, well, can I just pray at my seat? You can if you want to. I believe God touches us when we step out by faith and come to these altars. I believe he does that. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. God, we're so thankful for your grace. We're so thankful for what you've done for us, Lord. There's no way in one sermon we can talk about all you've done for us, God. And then, Lord, we want you to take what you've done for us, God, and work it by the inner workings of the Holy Ghost in our lives to work it in us, God. And we're thankful for what you have worked in us, God. Patience and gentleness, God, and kindness, and purified heart and purified affections and desires. We're thankful for that, God. And Lord, what you've worked so mightily in us, God, by your grace, we want by the same grace to walk it out, Lord. 
privately, publicly, publicly before God and man. You said that we're epistles for Christ, known and read of all men. God, help us to be that. Forgive us and forgive me where we've frustrated your grace. Forgive me for the countless times I have not allowed your grace to to avail what you wanted it to in my life. We love you, Jesus. We give ourselves to you and we give this church to you, Lord. Have your way in us, God, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.